Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Monks, the Amish, and fundamentalists. They don't walk into a bar and know this is not a joke. No, this is not a test. But what do monks, the Amish, and fundamentalists have in common? They are groups of people famous for not engaging the culture. Let me tell you a group of people who cannot be in that discussion. Christians. Christians. Because what is the temptation for us in the recent strife and argument of the world? The temptation is for us to just stay out of it to just stay out of the mess and the mire that is the world and the discussions that people have. That's the, that would be the temptation. But what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 17 is the very fact that we cannot stay out of it. We cannot be functionally Amish. We cannot be monks in ivory towers having discussions amongst ourselves that no one else cares about anywhere else. But we must look at the world in such a way that makes us and urges us and provokes us to want to get involved in that world. Not because of our own personal preference but for the larger things at stake. So, let's look at it together in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And it is with this premise in mind that we look at this passage, is that God is calling us to engage the culture. He is calling us to engage the culture. If you look back on the book of Acts, what we've seen so far is Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Mark and Timothy and everyone in between taking the gospel message to religious people for the most part. They worshiped something um, that looked like the God of the Bible in some ways. But here in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 21 that we're looking at today, we see Paul taking the gospel to people who think he's speaking another language. They're so familiar with it. They think Jesus is a South American president at this point. That's the kind of people that he is talking to. And that's also the kind of people that we must engage with ourselves. So we lay a foundation for the engagement of a secular culture. And the actual sermon that comes next Next week, this is just one really long sermon introduction. But Lord willing, we will get somewhere. So since God is calling us to engage the culture, what he is calling us to do is to have a Christian worldview. That's what this is, a Christian worldview. That means it's not rocket surgery. You look out at the culture like you're a Christian. And you look out at the culture with 
Christian eyes. You see in verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So what do we walk upon today? Paul has been hunted up to this point by the Thessalonians or the Thessalonians, if you will. They have hunted him everywhere he goes. He's preaching and they come, they run him out of town, try to kill him and he runs off. He, he ran out into the boonies, as we looked at last week, and he met the Bereans. And he goes here in chapter 17, verse 16, to Athens to wait on his mission company to come. So this isn't a mission trip that Paul's on in verse 16. This is him waiting. That is challenging for us. When is the last time that you got trapped somewhere and you know what this is like because you've tried to renew your license once in your life? You've done it. You've had to deal with doctor's offices, right? You show up on a little bit late, you need to reschedule. They can show up anytime they want. Like the doctor can show up when he can, he doesn't even have to be there that day. You know, like you, you could camp out, right? I've, I've even been with some of you all in hospitals and doctors and like, we're trapped. We can't go anywhere. If they leave, they give our spot away. What if we were the type of Christians that when we were at the mercy of a large organizations and large companies, state agencies, everything in between, that we got trapped places, we looked out at the world with Christian eyes. That's what happens here in the book of Acts. He's waiting on Silas and Timothy to come to him. While he's waiting in this large, successful city, the center of culture for that day, he couldn't help but see that the people were worshiping idols. So one, he's redeeming trapped time instead of wasting it. Two, he looks out at the world and actually cares that those people are not worshiping God. Let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't come from Berea to where they didn't, you know, have all the nice fixings and then go into Athens and what he didn't do, sightsee in Athens. That's not what he did. That's what we would have done, right? We'd go in and be like, wow, you're paving the way for electricity here. What's the Wi-Fi password? You see, because the first step in him engaging the culture, because like I, I look at the passage and I go, guys, we need to engage the culture. You push back and you go, well, how do we do that? Well, look at the passage. One, he's trapped somewhere with time on his hands, and he decides to redeem his time on his hands. And then what else does he do? He looks out at the culture, and he's provoked from within because they're not worshiping God. But what he doesn't do in this, he's not impressed with the culture. 
I've got three kids. I haven't got to watch, well, I watched like one baseball game, three baseball games in the entire last however long, right? Let's not go into those details. But I read a quote from Shohei Otani. I don't know if you, if you know who he is. He's one of the best baseball players in the world. Japan beat the United States in a showdown in the World Baseball Classic. Before the game, Shohei Otani, or Showtime as they call him in the baseball world, he, he huddles his team together and he says, in Japanese of course, which I'll translate it into English for you guys just in case, just in case, right? He says, we have to stop admiring the United States baseball team in order to beat them. The first thing that we have to stop doing, like it's, we respect them, we admire them, but for these moments, we can't in order to defeat them. I say that because if we are enamored and impressed and admiring the culture and everything it has to come with it, we will never reach it. If we are enamored with the culture, we will never reach the culture. So one of the first things that we have to repent of, based on verse 16, is being way too impressed with Athens, right? Way too impressed with the culture to care who they worship. So Paul wasn't impressed with the Athenians. He was provoked because when he looked out at it, he saw people worshiping things that weren't God, and he was not okay with that. That is what we have to do. They had riches, influence, intelligence, but what did Paul see? Idolatry. He didn't see a group of people that looked like they had everything together on the outside and just needed something added into their life to invite it into their heart. No, my friends, he saw people who were worshiping things that were not God and he was not okay with it. How enamored are we with the culture around us, with the world around us? Like we must be doing something right in our country, right? We can speak to the robot that is listening to every conversation that we ever have and tell that artificial intelligence to set our thermostat if we want it to, to lock our door if we want it to, to play something to distract our kids if we want it to. We can do all of those things with our voice. We must be doing something right, aren't we? If we could just speak and things happen, don't king, isn't, that, isn't that the idea of kings? They snap their fingers, stuff happens. You can set your thermostat if you don't even have a robot, A-L-E-X-A. If I say your name, the people on the internet are going to go crazy because she'll start talking, if you know what I mean. But you can set your thermostat in such a way as that you never have to touch it. It just runs. It does whatever you want. You want it at 70 at 6 o'clock? It's 70 at 6 o'clock. I'm not saying these are bad things. These are nice things. It's nice, you know, if, if it's nice. But we have to go beyond being impressed. And just because we have all of these blessings in our country doesn't mean that we've done anything right. It means that God is good. That's what it means. 
And the problem is, America is like Athens, a group of people who are successful, rich compared to everyone else in the world, but it is a land full of idols. And that is the challenging thing for us when we're waiting in line at Walmart. They have, um, let's be generous, shall we? They have four registers open. They have four registers. They have 24, like if you're doing math, there's 24 total, and they have four of them open. And then they have like eight of them over there, like do it yourself, peasant. You know, like if, <laughs> if you want to be a peasant and that sacks your own groceries, go for it. But, you know, we've got these four open. While you're waiting there and in a line that is never going to end, and you're wondering if Jesus will come back before you'll go forward, right? You're asking that question. You're like, this is a hostage situation here. I'm in line. I can't give my spot up. If I go back to get that loaf of bread that my wife told me I'm going to get, then she will never see me again. So I've got to stay right here. If you're in that moment, I say it's time for you to care about the people around you and who they're worshiping and who they're not worshiping. And if they're full of idols, I'm saying that that progressive commercial, you see the old man, his name's Dr. So-and-so, and he's got the nice mustache, and he's talking to young people who are becoming their parents. And one of the things that he's training these people to not become their parents, because what do their parents do? They talk to people, right? Like this guy's going through a, 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 uh, he's in a, a, a store, and he talks to a guy, and he tells him, yeah, you ought to get this one over here, and, and then the progressive guy comes up, and he goes, you don't work here. See, you, you don't work here. He, he, he's shopping, and you don't work here, so let's move on, right? Because if, if what, what, do we, what does that guy's parents do? He, he, he's talked to people in the store, and that's the joke around the culture is like, if you're going to become the generation above you, you're going to talk to people. And, and that, that's not a thing anymore. Here's the problem. It has to become a thing. It has to become a thing. That is a flaw in any generation who shuts down communication. That's a flaw. That's not a good thing, right? Like, I'm not saying you need to pretend you work at the hardware store and be like, yeah, uh, th- those... Those would work better for you. Like, I'm not saying you should give technical advice to people who don't want it, unsolicited, right? You're not their boss. You're not their dad. You're not their, you don't work at that store. I'm saying you should be a concerned citizen enough to care about what they worship and not be okay that they don't worship the one true and only living God. Enough to do something about it. It means that the person of Jesus has changed everything about you to the point that you can't look at the culture without being provoked. He saw everything here in this passage in its relationship to God. That's what it is to have a Christian worldview, to look at something and consider what God thinks about it. 
In fact, this word here in, in the passage that he was provoked within himself is very similar to the one in Exodus when God comes down the mountain and he see, or Moses comes down. I was seeing if you're awake. You're like, God didn't come down the mountain. He was up on the mountain. It's all right. Moses comes down the mountain after talking to God and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf. He was provoked. God was provoked in this. I'm saying when you look at that situation with the golden calf, that God was provoked to anger when Moses goes down there and he sees that. That's what's happening to Paul here in this passage. So what is Paul doing? He is having the same reaction to sin as God did. And his representative in Exodus 33. That is what it is. So what is it, what is it to have a Christian worldview? To have the same reaction to sin that God does. And to not be okay with people worshiping things that are not God. Understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying... I'm not asking you to vote a certain way. But I will say that having a Christian worldview will affect the way you vote or you don't have one. If if looking out the world as a Christian doesn't cause you to vote a certain way, you don't have a Christian worldview. Your voting patterns cannot be divorced from what you believe God is pleased with. That, is a, that, that just can't happen. There are people who would say that I am of this religion, but I vote this way that disagrees with this said religion. Here's the problem. That's not going to work for Christians. And what people would say, they would say, keep your Christianity out of the voting booth. They would say, keep your Christianity out of the government. Separate those things. Here's the problem with that. Someone's morality is going to govern all of us. Did you know that? Someone's worldview is going to pass down legislation on all of us. It already does. It already does. It is a lie to think that how someone looks out at the world and what someone believes about God, what someone believes that God is pleased with, can be distanced and separated from voting choices. That's not going to work. That's not a real thing. That's a fantasy world that some people like to think exists. That world does not exist. In the world that does exist, God is calling us as Christians to engage the culture. And how do we do that? First, we look out at it like we're Christians. We look out at it like we're Christians. So how do we get a Christian worldview if we don't have a Christian worldview? Well, we have to understand that... 
how we look at absolutely, positively everything is affected by what we believe about God. That there's not a corner, not a section, not a decision that we make that can be divorced from what we actually believe. It covers everything. If it covers anything, it covers everything. So we look at the world like God does. Paul responds to these people's sin like God does because he looks out of it like God does. So how do we look at the world the way God does? We are saturated with the scriptures enough to know what God thinks about things. God is provoked by sin, no matter how we wink at it, explain it away. It was placed on his son. Now, this is easy for us to look at other people and figure out. Like, I can look at how you look at the world and correct it and criticize it. But as it gets closer to home, we actually have to ask God to show us these things, right? Is there something that I'm looking at? Something that I'm doing, an arena of how I eat, how I drink, where I go, what I listen to, what I watch, what I care about, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the way I vote, the way I don't vote, the way I don't care, the way I do care, and everything in between, is there something not affected that makes me want to check out instead of get involved? Because all of us have blind spots. When we have a child that we have taught about the things of God. And then at the very first moment that they have the opportunity to go and have any type of freedom, they turn their back on the church and they leave. When we look out at that situation with a Christian worldview, it comes back that there's a chance, really good chance that that child never was a Christian. Because what do we do? We try to explain it away. We say, well, you know, that's just how they are, right? I come, my spouse doesn't come to church with me because of that's just how they are. That's their personality. That's, they're just, life's kind of crazy right now or whatever. All of these things, if we look out at it as a Christian, we're provoked that these people are not worshiping God. We don't explain their idolatry. We are provoked by it. We're grieved by idolatry. We're grieved by people who don't worship God. If we look out at the world like Paul does here. So not only should we have a Christian worldview, but we should take that gospel to the, Christ, to the non-Christian world. We should take the gospel into the public square So he not only saw the world in relationship to God, was provoked by it, but that provoking led him to action. Here's what Paul did in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. 
And for some of us, this is the obvious next step. We have an emotional reaction to a lost world, but we're not provoked enough to do anything about it. How many times have we just been sad, you know, just vaguely sad, and then we got over it? Someone, some sermon guilted us into caring for a minute that people are lost, and then we got over it. John Stott puts it like this, we do not speak like Paul because we do not feel like Paul. This is because we do not see like Paul. We do not see like Paul. Paul saw, and it led him to speak. So we started with the synagogue like he always did, the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, then the marketplace for anybody who would walk by. And he would have been shamed in our current culture because there's two things you don't talk about in polite company. Do you know what they are? I'm sure you do. You don't talk about politics and the Reds, thank you, thank you very much. The politics and the Cincinnati Reds, that's a good one, thank you. <laughs> politics and religion. However, that's a very unbiblical thing to say and a very ungodly thing to do, to follow that little thing. It's very unbiblical and ungodly to make sure that you don't talk to anybody about politics and religion. Why? Because if you look out at the world, you're provoked by those who don't worship God. Therefore, you are led by that provoking to an action in which that you say something, that you, in which that you take the gospel into the public square to someone who does not know God. So, Paul Paul talk to the church people of the day, the people loosely affiliated with the church, then the marketplace where anybody and everybody was. We have to get out of the synagogue into the marketplace somehow. Somehow. Here's an evangelism plan, strategy, that I'm going to lay out for us as a church. We share the gospel in the church. That God is holy and righteous and just and perfect in all of his ways and that he made us in his image but we sinned against him. And that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and he lived the perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave and everyone in between. And now he commands you and that your mom and your dad and your entire family to turn from your sin and rebellion against God and trust solely in the person of the Lord Jesus. And we speak that message to all the sinners in this place. And then they repent and they believe. And if they've already done that, they go to Walmart. And then they go to Farm Bureau and they go to Lowe's, and they go to work, and they go to school with that same message. And then they're a Christian at church, and then they're a Christian at home, and then they're a Christian at work, and then they're a Christian at school, 
and then they're a Christian at Walmart and everywhere in between. So let's look at what Paul does here and take that as a program into the world to be Christians where Christians aren't, that you already have to go anyway. What a novel idea and missions program for our church that you should be a Christian everywhere you go and be, care about other people and whether or not they worship God and say something about it. Even though, as we know, in those progressive commercials, you might become your parents. You might become your parents doing that. But let me tell you this. A lot of us today are Christians because of our parents that told us the gospel. The very first person who ever told me about Jesus was my mother. The very first one. And I have heard her talk to people in Walmart about Jesus that embarrassed my tail. <laughs> and my face got red that she would talk to, the, to, to someone, let alone about that in that place. And you know who was right? Her. And you know who was wrong? Me. Me. Now, let me tell you what I'm not calling us to do by this passage. I'm not calling us to be keyboard warriors only. Keyboard warriors only. To go hide online and drop bombs on people that we wouldn't talk to if they walked into the room. Now, the online is part of the marketplace. And there are pagans there. So if you have a Twitter or a Facebook or a TikTok or a TikBook, that was a test. That last one's not real. Some of y'all are like, I heard about TikBook. That's <laughs> the kids are probably on TikBook. That was a test for some of you. If you have an online account, be a Christian. Be a Christian on that. Yes, drop bombs of truth. Perfect. Do it in person too, though. Do it online. Do it in person. Do it everywhere. It's like what we have to talk about is important or something. Like it matters. When we look at this passage, we are immediately convicted because Paul looked out at the world and wasn't okay with how it was in such a way that he wanted to do something about it. And what did he do about it? He told them the gospel. Verse 18, he was speaking to two schools of philosophy, the Epicureans and the Stoics in this passage. The Epicureans and the Stoics, they were... Um, Philosophers, as you know, that is, they, they loved wisdom. Now, the truth, truth of the, the two worldviews that he's talking about show us that people will automatically try to make sense of their world. It's just a natural human phenomenon. They, they, they look out at the world and they try to make sense of it anyway. They're trying to figure it out. So they've come to conclusions with their love of wisdom that they have now settled upon. The problem with that is that they're wrong. That they're wrong. 
They have a desire to worship like we saw in verse 16, but they'll make an effort to make sense of the world. But the problem is the Proverbs 9 tells us the beginning of knowledge and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So they can't make sense of the world without the fear of the Lord. There can't actually be wisdom without knowledge and love of God. The Epicureans here were practical atheists who believed while God exists, he had no interest in humankind. There are Epicureans at Walmart and Lowe's who think that God exists. And he just, he, he started the world and set it going and hightailed it out of here. And because of that, pleasure was the chief good. According to them, the soul was immaterial, was material, and annihilated at death. This has reemerged among us. Um, there was this thing out probably eight years ago, uh, and it was YOLO. Does anyone know what that was? Does anybody remember it? It was you only live once. You only live once. So live it up while you live it. It's a laser focus on the here and now with little thought to the relevance of God and everything in between, eternal destinies and the like. Meanwhile, there were the Stoics. They were pantheists, meaning that God is in everything and they were really, you know, Stoic. Like John Wayne and be like, oh, my leg appears to be falling off. It seems wise for me to go get medical attention rather swiftly. They rose above everything, showing no emotion, response to pain or pleasure. Check out. Self-control was life's goal. Do you see this emerging in our marketplace? Those people are living for pleasure and those that are stoically trying to control everything. The same people in our world are trying to make sense of their world in these ways. And what does Paul do to these people? He tells them the gospel. Here's how they responded in verse 18. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. In the original language, babbler meant seed picker. Like birds who are scavenging around, picking up seeds from different places and bringing them all together. Seems like Paul's making this weird salad for them and they don't really understand what he's saying. Seems like Paul would build this doctrine like a bird would build his nest is what they're saying here. The gospel that Paul proclaimed was completely foreign to these people. They were confused thought that Paul was speaking about two gods, Jesus and the resurrection. In, right, do you see that in the passage? Divinities, foreign divinities, plural. What are the names of the two divinities that Paul is talking about? Well, the first one is Jesus, and the second thing that he seems to be talking about a whole lot is the resurrection. Or as some of you all know, um, that word is Anastasia in, in, the, in the Greek. So who's this girl named Anastasia and who's this guy named Jesus and how are they both gods that this guy keeps talking about? 
In other words, if you look at this, they were on a completely other planet than the Apostle Paul with this gospel. That's how far they were from understanding it. Verse 19 says they took him to the Areopagus. It was a place where they could evaluate what people said. They took him further into the town square and they said, talk about it and we'll listen. Do you understand that, that when you take this gospel into the public square, there are people that are, are going to be completely oblivious and not know anything about it? At our Burgu Festival that we did last fall, I talked to a lady, and I was the very first person in Lawrence, like, I was in Lawrenceburg, I was the very first person to ever have mentioned the name of Jesus to this lady. She'd never heard his name before, and she was right over there. She knew nothing about him, nothing at all, and she was in Lawrenceburg. I had two responses to that. Wow, what a privilege to have these human lips be the first vehicle for that name. Why would God pick me to do that? What a privilege that I got to do that. Second response. Oh, how sad that this woman has lived 30 plus years ignorant and oblivious and not even knowing the name of the one who lived and died and rose again. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with her just riding the rest of the way out? I'd really like to get involved, but I don't care enough. Is what's going on in maybe our heart right now. So the prayer would then become, oh God, break our heart to where we care enough to want to get involved. To where we see being gospel vehicles as a privilege. To where we're not okay that they don't know that we take the gospel into the public square, and that we're Christian enough to be a Christian everywhere. Everywhere. Because our culture is open to a discussion about God because they don't know anything about him. A lot of them, right? Like, so we're just kind of passing in our cultural moment away from like hostility to, uh, to God to they don't care and they don't know. That's going on a lot. Apathy. They're not even, they don't even know enough to be angry. They're just ignorant. Yeah, they're, they're still the angry atheists out there, but mostly people are ignorant agnostics. Mostly. We have to help them understand that God is not only just relevant to their life, but the purpose for their existence. We must have a Christian worldview, take the gospel into the marketplace. When the way that we look at the world is not shaped by the scriptures, we're just okay with not being involved. We won't engage. But the problem is, we 
have to. Paul saw the culture worshiping idols. He was provoked by it. He reasoned with anybody who would listen concerning the Jesus and the resurrection. Because that is the game changer there in the verse. That there was this person named Jesus who lived the perfect life. He was put to death and he beat death. So that's why we would go back to the passage in verse 16 and say, if you really believe, if you really understand that what Jesus is, who he did, and how he rose, then you're going to be provoked by a culture that's not worshiping him. If you're not a Christian, you need to turn from your sin and trust solely in the person of the Lord Jesus. If you are a Christian, you need to actually be one everywhere you go and to look out at the world like God does. Ask him to let you see the world like he sees the world. That is not being hidden from you. That is not being kept from you. That is available to you. Read your scriptures and actually know God. Because if you knew God, then you would care how he responds to the world. So it's my prayer for us after looking through these verses is that we would love God, know God, care about people enough for them to know him too. So how do we take the gospel into the public square? We be a Christian, talk like a Christian, places that we already have to go anyway. Let's do that together. If you are not a Christian, I'm going to be over to the side. I'd love to talk to you, answer any questions you have. If you are a Christian, your next step, uh, if you have not been baptized, is to be baptized and identify with the Lord Jesus. That's a natural application of this text is that once someone becomes a Christian, they go public with their Christianity. And how do we do that with baptism? So if you haven't been baptized, you can let me know that. Also identifying with Christ, not only in Believing in him, trusting in him, banking your entire life on him, going public in baptism, but joining a local body. And we would love for you to join here as a member of Farmdale. How you would do that is you would let me know over here to the side, and I would pass that information on to the church body. So this is a time for us to respond together. Um, I'm going to pray as our worship leaders come. If you want me to pray with you, I will. If, if not, you can pray there back at your seat it is a matter of importance of where your heart is in these moments, not necessarily where your body is. Because your body could be here, you could be up here pretending to cry, but your mind could be elsewhere. So it matters right now where our, where our heart is. And if you want me to pray with you, we can do that. So let's all respond to this text uh, in these moments, asking God to let us look at the world like Christians and let us go into the world like Christians. Let's pray. Father, we ask uh, that very thing for us, Lord, that we would identify with you and go public with our Christianity because you matter so much, because you are worthy.
You are worthy of our praise, our adoration, and you're worthy of us going public with who you are and what you're doing in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would matter enough to us for us to be faithfully sent into this and culture to engage it. Not to become like it, not to be consumed by it, but to engage. In Jesus' name, amen.